This morning's scripture lesson comes from Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. We ask that you all stand for the gospel, amen, as you are able. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the name of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word so that I may also go and pay homage. When they heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It is wonderful to see the choir loft full this morning. And before this company gathered, we want to say thanks to all of you wonderful musicians, for the beautiful music of Advent, for our lessons and carols, whether it was flute or bells or voices or piano or organ or, other in, or guitar, there were other instruments. It was a wonderful praise to God. And I give thanks to God for each of you. The March of the Kings, interesting. Does the scripture actually say that they were kings? It says they were magi. They were wise men. How many does the scripture say there were? The scripture does not say there were three. There were gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, a gift for a king. Frankincense, deity, or wisdom. And myrrh for the oil of embalming which were gifts that were symbolic for this king that was born. In the Orthodox tradition, there are 12, not three. Interestingly, I discovered as I did a lot of research on kings and magi and, and, and who these, these wise persons were. They came and they had studied the heavens. They were part of the Zoroastrian faith group that studied the stars. They were from the priestly caste who understood astrology. They were scientists as well as 
religious leaders in their own right. And they wanted to follow where this babe was to be born. They were also dreamers, as we have discovered in the text. And the Lord revealed to them a whole new understanding after they met, they encountered Jesus Christ as a child. Not in the stable, but it says, and they entered the house and saw Mary with the child. So there's details in Matthew's gospel that are different than the details in Luke's gospel that are different than, than the, uh, the beautiful way that John describes the word becoming flesh and different than the way that Mark describes and begins with Jesus' baptism and in, 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 in going out into the world to do his ministry. So it's important for us to, to get the whole picture and the different ways that we've come to understand the coming of Jesus Christ. We've been preparing our hearts to receive him during this Advent and Christmas season. Last Sunday, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, this day tells us about how the world, the Gentiles, those from beyond the people of Israel came to encounter the living God as a little child. The hopes and fears of all the years were met in Christ that night and for all the world. In this text from Matthew 2, it's an announcement story. In it, there are three things that we learn, that Christ appears not just for Israel alone, but for all the world. The light of God's glory begins an era of universal worship. Jesus Christ is the true king of Israel, the royal shepherd of Israel, as it says in Micah 5.2. And the hostility toward Jesus and the gospel by the political and religious establishment is found here and throughout the gospel of Matthew. Evelyn Underhill, the wonderful spiritual leader, has said this, the birth of Christ in our souls, is for a purpose beyond ourselves. It is because his manifestation in the world must be through us. Every Christian is, as it were, part of the dust-laden air which shall radiate the glowing epiphany of God, catch and reflect his golden light. And as these wise men followed the star, they saw that radiant light in the Christ child and were transformed. This story inspires both worship and hostility in the Gospel of Matthew. The Magi represent the first of many characters to worship Jesus in Matthew. As we look through the book, we'll see other characters, other persons who've come to acknowledge that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he is the one who was sent by God to show us how to live and how to love in this world. But it also tells us about hostility. In this story, the religious leaders of Israel do the bidding of a political ruler who wishes to destroy Jesus. He gets some information from them. 
Later, the situation will be ironically reversed. The political ruler, Pilate, will do the bidding of religious leaders who have decided that Jesus must die. So in the Gospel of Matthew, there is a full story of how God has come to earth and how he is the fulfillment, Jesus is the fulfillment of what has been prophesied in the Old Testament. The kings in Matthew are Herod and Jesus. The wise men become more like the servants. They're the ones that come and, and obey the guiding of the star, and they kneel at his feet. And they hear the voice of the Lord saying, go back a different way. So these wise men from the east were scientists and practiced under other religions, and God used their faith and knowledge to bring them to Christ. There is a kind of a prevenient grace that we've talked about many times in, in our time together in these sermons, that that grace led them to Jesus. God used scientists who practiced other religions to let King Herod and the chief priests and scribes of the people in on the news that the Messiah had been born. God seems to do whatever it takes to reach out and embrace all people and use all of us for the glory of God. There are three lessons for this day in the lectionary readings. The manifestation of God to the people outside the religious community, and Isaiah reminds us that the community is called to be a light to the nations. The other scripture reading for today is from Ephesians 3, 1 to 12, and it suggests that the ultimate purpose of God is the unification of humanity in a truly multicultural, multifaceted community where distinctions between insiders and outsiders have vanished. The lessons appointed for this day encourage humble admission that God's glory may be manifested where we may least expect it. But the light is always there and breaks in to our lives. The word for light, the word is anatolai, which means the rising, and the word for the east means the rising. So these people from the east have come to see the light that rises upon the world to change it. And that light that will be raised from the dead and to lead us to resurrection at the end of the gospel. Isaiah's vision of salvation includes a pilgrimage of the nations who will come to Israel's light to worship the God of Israel. While, God, while Matthew's gospel ends with the risen Jesus commanding the disciples to go out from Galilee to make disciples of all nations. So all the nations in the beginning of the gospels are represented by these wise men who've come. And at the end, we as followers of Jesus Christ who are called to be the light for the world are called to go out to make disciples of all nations. How wonderful this whole connection within the gospel of Matthew. In Ephesians, Paul says that the mystery of Christ is revealed 
when reconciliation is made possible and inevitably invites all people to understand themselves as fellow heirs and participants in building the kingdom of God. The calling of the church as a gift to all humanity is the hallmark of Ephesians 1 through 12. And it's an invitation to us in the 21st century church to view ourselves as sacramental, missional, evangelical, and a spiritual place. We're called to be grasped by the amazing mystery of the reconciliation of hostile nations and allow them, themselves to be moved to prayer through Christ's strength, through God's strength, that leads them to this kingdom of God. Without reconciliation of nations, peoples, tribes, ethnicities, and genders, the knowledge and fullness of God will remain a mystery even to the leaders of the church says Israel Kamadwandu. It is when people experience reconciliation that they become part of the church and eventually are drawn into the work of peace, justice, and love. In other words, Ephesians 3, 1 through 12 calls the 21st century to re-examine the nature of its existence and come to the realization that a self-existing church will not last. We are called, we have a mission of welcoming and accepting all people. As the message of the New Testament centers on God's mission of uniting all humanity, so does Ephesians, in that the mystery of God is a call for authentic witness to the world that is tragically disconnected and chaotic. We're called in Ephesians to fall on our knees in prayer, and we're called to fall on our knees like the wise men to worship the one who has come to show us the way we're to relate to one another. That one who has come makes us need to change what we do because he has come. We talk a good game about praying and working for the new things in our lives. Here we are in a new year. There's scriptures about new things, about how we're called to change because Christ has become a part of our lives. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So much of our God talk points to the renovating power of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. But what is it that we're really seeking? Sometimes when we speak of the new, I think mainly what we may be talking about is just improved. So often it seems if we pray only for a vaguely optimized version of the here and now. The fact is that even faith people, faithful people can't imagine a world that is much different sometimes than the way it already is. It is important for us that we can't, but God can. God can help us to see in a new way, can help us to a new future, can help us to move forward in steps of faith, to see things that have not yet been revealed. And God is longing to show us that vision, which is a vision for us. And for all we love, for all people and all creation and all times. God is longing to make us a part of something that goes far beyond our shallow invocations.
and our hope in the new. These steps to our different future may be small, may be incremental, but they're important for us to take step by step. The Reverend Maxwell Grant has given some wonderful insights on this. So he says, so as a new year begins, as we move from a season of taking stock and move into a season of taking action, we are invited to push beyond the old rules and all the expectations of what can and can't be and should and should not be. We're invited to acknowledge our fears and indeed, it's important to do that, but we're invited even more urgently to push past them and imagine what it might mean to live in the light of that new star in a new year. How many resolutions have you made so far in this new year? I have a list, but guess what? My friend Tyler Jackson, our associate pastor, showed me a new spiritual discipline this year. He and Natalie have done, done this for several years. It's to pick one word, to allow the Lord to give you one word that will be your word for 2019. That word that will guide you, that will challenge you, that will comfort you, that will make you ponder. So New Year's Day, I said, Hal, we got to come up with a word. And he said, huh? <laughs> and I told him, he said, that sounds good. Well, his word is well. Hmm, I love that. My word that was given to me about 10, 15 on New Year's Day was release. Whoa, that can mean a lot of things. Speaking of a lot of things, you know I've got a lot of things that need to be released, I want to share those things with the people that can use them. It can also be about freeing. It can also be about redemption and release. I don't know what that word's going to mean for me this year. I'm going to discover what it means for me. And I want you to discover what one word might mean for you. But I love the story that comes from Martin Luther as he was writing that beautiful him that speaks of what one word can fell Satan. That little word shall fell him, that is Satan. What is that little word? That little word is a little word that was born in a manger in Bethlehem that was named Jesus for our salvation. That little word can make all the difference in the world. And it should. All the difference in our lives and all the difference in the lives of those that we meet wherever we may be. So as we come to the table this morning to receive that gift of grace, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray that you'll spend some time at the altar praying for the Lord to reveal what needs to be let go of in your life, what needs to be taken on, what needs to be uh, that word for you this year. As you come, may you be enlightened by the one who has come to give himself for all the world. Amen. <laughs>